last week we kicked off this series called Dig Deep and Get Real, all right? So, no, we weren't trying just to be edgy. Um, I'm just a very matter-of-fact black and white person, and so I just decided to cut to the chase with a sermon series title because this is really about us trying to identify a few topics that maybe within Christianity or within the church that we may think we have a good grasp on, or we may think we've already dealt with that, or we may think that we have an understanding about something, but really... We need just to dig deep again. We need to dig deep and actually understand, do we have real conviction behind something? Do we have real freedom in an area of our lives that maybe we thought we did? And that's really what this, what this series is about. And so last week, we talked about the Great Commission. We talked about focusing and not being led astray by other ideas that are great ideas. Within Christianity, within our society, there's a lot of good things to put your time and energy towards. But really, Jesus said that there's one thing I want you to do, which is to go and make disciples. And that wasn't just for people called into vocational ministry. It wasn't just for people that were extroverted or people that were uh, radical or had to whatever. It was for everyone that would call upon the name of Jesus who was saved and then follow him that all of a sudden our marching orders was we get to make disciples. And making disciples doesn't necessarily mean some sort of track or program you're on. You see, making disciples looks differently in different stages of life, but let me just say that if you center your life around the Great Commission and saying, whatever I do, wherever I go, it's going to be about fulfilling the Great Commission, then all of a sudden, everybody in every moment has an opportunity for discipleship. You may have five minutes with somebody. Guess what? You just disciple them in five minutes and something, right? You may have an hour at lunch with a friend. You may be sitting next to a coworker for a year, and they never open up, and all of a sudden, they open up about going with their kids. Boom, you have a chance to disciple them. You get to make disciples when you carry the kingdom of God around, and wherever you go, you look for opportunities. It's not about, I can only disciple at lunch from 12 to 1. But beyond that, sorry, I'm off, I'm off discipleship time, right? But we like, to, we like to put things in categories, right? We like to say, hey, you must be super spiritually mature, and then disciple me. And by the way, that's not in the Bible, right? And, 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 or, or, or sometimes we think about, hey, you must be much older than me to disciple. That's not in the Bible. Yes, you had Paul and Timothy, but you had Jesus and his disciples, and no one knows how old they were. They could have been older than Jesus. Uh-oh, right? It's like, wait a second. This blows my whole paradigm. It's like, oh, wait a second. Discipleship is this thing that we get to do all the time, and there are unique settings where we have to be focused and engaged in small group settings and on one-on-one, absolutely. But there are opportunities for us to be had every day. Disciple your kids, disciple your roommates. We're also need to just look, and not in this arrogant, I know more than you mentality, right? It's a humility. Hey, I'm just here to help you grow in Jesus by offering you ideas or by inviting you into things or suggesting things. I'm not controlling. I'm not making you do anything. I'm just offering you the life that I have, that I found in here. And so you can take it or leave it. That's what discipleship is. So we talked about making that a centerpiece of our lives. Today, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Instead of talking about the mission, we're going to talk about our identity, right? We're going to talk about our identity in Christ. Now, I did a little research this last week, and you may know this, but the number one um, website on the planet is... Google. The number two website on the planet is YouTube, and Google owns both, so they hold one and two spots, right? Facebook's number three, just so you know. Um, So you have Google and YouTube, right? And so YouTube, um, their slogan when they birthed the company back in 2005 is this, broadcast yourself, right? Like that's the whole premise of YouTube, broadcast yourself. Now, um, they've been very successful at doing that, right? Because most of us in this room 
have been to YouTube, went to YouTube this morning, yesterday. Most of us in this room have broadcast ourselves. They've been successful at doing that, making a little movie or whatever it's been. Well, they've recently changed their mission statement to give everyone a voice and show them the world. That's a great statement. I was like, hey, I could latch onto that. That sounds awesome. To give everybody a voice and show them the world. And so they are, they are committed to fulfilling that mission as well at YouTube. Now, videos, right, they make us laugh. They make us cry, right? They, they inspire us and they discourage us. Especially when you like watch a documentary on a place that you always eat and then you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> Be careful the documentaries you watch. <laughs> um, you know, they've taught us to do things you never learned growing up. How to change a tire, how to fix a washing machine, how to uh, replace an ice maker in a fridge, how to do X, Y, Z, how to stitch, how to knit. I mean, there's all sorts of things. You can learn a lot of things on YouTube. There's actually a lot of great benefits to it. A lot of us may be watching sermons or teachings or inspiring communicators. You may have uh, learned how to play the guitar on YouTube, right? There's a lot of positive aspects to it, but I do want to highlight that like with everything, there is a downside. There is a downside. Broadcasting yourself and watching people share their opinions and their ideas and their lives can have a kind of a slow drip effect on you that can maybe lead to some confusion, maybe lead to some insecurity, some questioning of your own self. Um, it may even lead you to start questioning what you believe or what you were raised to believe or how you've become the person that you are. And it may lead to a place to challenge your foundational truths, or maybe what you thought you were clear on now all of a sudden becomes shaky ground. <laughs> because, you see, YouTube's goal is to give everyone a voice. But I would just argue if you're a Christian, if you decided to accept Jesus into your heart, there's actually one voice that needs to dominate the rest. It's the voice of God. I'm all about hearing other people's voices. But what if we don't leave room for his voice, right? Like, what if we don't leave space in our day-to-day -day lives for his voice? Now, um, what's true about a voice is that sometimes the loudest voice wins, right? It's like the louder the person is, it just seems they seem more confident. They seem more right. That can be completely wrong because it's loud. We're like, I guess he's right. Come on. This is, this is politics usually, right? They just yell louder. And you're like, oh, I guess they must be right. So you can have a loud voice. You can have a consistent voice that has a real impact on us, right? You just keep hearing it over and over and over. Let's say you grew up playing sports and you had a coach who just kept telling you how worthless you were, how much you couldn't do it. Or a coach just said that you could do it, how much that helped you one way or another. A parent that maybe said that you're not beautiful, you're ugly, and how that stuck with you, that voice has stuck with you. A parent that's maybe said, I wish you were better at this or better at that, and so they called you dumb. Or a teacher that said you didn't measure up. Or a teacher that actually encouraged you when no one else would and that made you who you are. Voices are very powerful, and they are needed, and they are good. But I think that maybe we don't leave enough room for the most important voice. You know, um, Nielsen ratings have been around for a long time, and they usually do all these ratings on media, right? You oftentimes hear them about TV. So they give ratings for the Super Bowl, ratings for this, that, and the other. Well, Nielsen Company, they did a, a study, and they published it a year ago. And it came out in the beginning of 2018, and their study was trying to figure out how many hours a day, on average, do adults in America, which would be 18 years and older, do adults in America actually engage with some form of media? So there's 24 hours in a day, right? All right, let's put the chart up here. If you can't see in the very top right, 11 hours and 6 minutes is the average. 
That's the average. Remember, averages means there's people above that and people below. Now, let's do the math for a second, guys. There's 24 hours in a day. You're supposed to sleep eight hours if you're a good Christian, okay? So you're supposed to sleep eight hours. Let's take 24 minus eight. It leaves it 16. 16 minus 11 leaves us with five. Five hours. On average, Americans, this is 22-year-olds and 79-year-olds and everyone in between. On average, Americans have 11 hours a day of somebody else's voice. Wow. Now, what you can't see at the bottom there is the third quarter of 2017, it was only 10 and a half. It jumped 36 minutes in six months. This is, think about like history here. Like think about decades. A 36-minute jump in media exposure in six months is pretty startling. It is increasing. You only have five other awake hours that you're not listening to something or watching something, whatever. So when it comes to the voice of God, is there any room for his voice? Is there any room for his word? Do you actually have your own thoughts on what the book of James says or just what some other preacher said? Do you actually have your own ideas about marriage and God's plan for not living together, not sleeping together, actually saving that until you are married? Do you have his thoughts or just a bunch of good societal how-tos, right? Because you're sick and tired of divorce and so you want to try it out before that happens. That doesn't work either, just so you know. Do you have... Do you have his voice, his word on the matter, or just everybody else's? There's a lot of good opinions, guys, and there's a lot of great stuff out there on YouTube and media. There's great stuff. It's, it's a lot of it's encouraging. But even my own life, I have found myself not listening as to many teachings and podcasts, because you know what I found? For a while there, I was listening to something like every other day, and I'm like all pumped up. You know what I was doing with it? Nothing. But I felt pretty good on that jog. Listen to that inspiring podcast. And then I wanted the next thing. And so what my mind became was so inundated with all these ideas and all these thoughts. And what I missed was my children right in front of me. What I missed was the work I actually am getting paid to do. What I missed was my wife at dinner because I had all these other thoughts in my head and I wasn't thinking about her. What I missed was all the mental space I had given to other things. And by the way, after all of that, I didn't have very much room for him. God, I'll get to that later. I got to listen to this. I got to watch this. This Someone sent me this encouraging. I need to watch this. And so there I am with my cup of coffee, ready to spend time with God. And I've got this encouraging text from a friend. And I'm led to, let's click on that. And all of a sudden, it's 20 minutes later. Wow, that was so good. Well, time's up. Kids are awake. There went that. (laughs) See, it's good intentions, guys. We have good intentions. We really do. But I think that we've kind of swung a little bit to the place of, I don't think I have any time to think. Time to be. What was it like to go to the bathroom without my phone? You know, that existed for thousands of years, you know, until 2005. That's kind of when that ended. You see, guys, we have a problem. The problem is not media. Money is not the problem. It's your use of money, how you use it. Media is not the problem. It's your use of it. Just like coffee. Have coffee. Have you ever decided, you know what, I'm just not going to do coffee this week. Is there any effects in your body at all? Yeah, there are. Just ask someone who's done it. Headaches, and I can't sleep, and it's like my body's doing this. It's like, ooh, because it's a caffeine addiction, you know? 
I'm not anti-coffee. We have coffee out here, you know? But it's like, you need to understand that, that God said, be addicted to me and me alone. And so sometimes it's good to like kick something that's kind of become an addiction for us. And so media, I would just say as a challenge to us before we go further is I would challenge you to pray and literally ask, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Ask God, God, do I need a break from media? Maybe I need a media fast. In fact, our discipleship school students right now just started a media fast this week. I think it's 21 days. They're going to go 21 days, no media. You can talk to them about it. You know, and I would argue that for many of us, a media fast is more difficult than a food fast. You'd rather give up food than to give up that phone, <laughs> than to give up that computer, than to give up that screen, <laughs> because, man, my whole life is there. And I get all the arguments, guys. I hear them all. What about my missionary friends? What about keeping up with this journey? What about this person in the hospital? What about this? I get all that. But you know what, though? We function as a society, and people glorified God way before technology. You can actually be pleasing to God without all the connections. Did you know that? If not, then wow, Jesus was way off. I mean, you can do it. You can honor God and be great at work and be a blessing to friends and to your family. And you can also kind of lessen the noise. I mean, guys, I got five small kids. Dinner is not 45 minutes with candles lit and opera in the background. It's like, please eat your food. What do you need? I mean, Ashley and I usually eat standing up most of the time. Because if you sit down, there's no point. You're just like, oh, 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 can I, oh, you need that, okay. And then if not, they climb. They climb on the counter. They climb in the pantry. They get up in the fridge. I mean, you have little people just kind of like, I'm like, that's going to break. You know, okay, I'll get it. I don't want to fix the thing they're going to break, you know. It's not real peaceful. So, man, I've got noise. (laughs) You know what I like to do? Just to sit in my car sometimes. With like, no noise, no radio, phone, airplane mode, just sit there. You know what I like to do? I like just to go on a walk and leave my phone behind. I might take a dog or two, or I might not, and I just go walk. I'm not thinking about much. I'm not trying. And you know what's so cool? It's when you will actually leave space for his voice, he speaks. I know. It's shocking. And some of us are like, oh, God doesn't speak to me, Tyler. Okay, have you given him any space? Do a media break for a week and come back to me and tell me he's not speaking. I guarantee you he will. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. But in our day and age, we've, we've created all these good ideas to consume our thoughts with all sorts of stuff. We can't even see straight. We don't even know what we believe anymore. It's been so twisted. We need a break. <laughs> we need a break. We need to hear from his voice. And you know, guys, here's what happens. Junior high and high school... You're, you're awkward, right? I mean, you were. I mean, we all were. I was. I'll just say me. I was really awkward, okay? And so I was insecure about stuff. I didn't know how good I was going to be at, 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 as an athlete. I didn't, you know, social settings, girls, and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, what am I doing to my life, you know? And you're in middle school, high school. Everything's blown in proportion. You think the world's going to end when something happens. It doesn't. It's not a big deal, but it's so big to you. And you're really insecure in a lot of ways, right? And there's a lot of people going through identity crisis in middle school and high school, right? It's a challenging time. But here's what I would say. If you don't answer the question, who am I in high school, it's not just magically going to get answered your freshman year of college or when you take your first job out of college or when you get married or when you have kids. It's not just going to get magically answered. You've got to do the work to answer that question. Who am I? Who am I really? 
And I would say a lot of college students today would be asking that same question, if you're honest. Who am I really? Is it about my social circles? Is it about what I'm good at? Or is it about something else? And I would argue that it's about what God has already said about us. And guys, if you don't answer this question, you'll spend the rest of your adult life wondering. And just, you know, it gets harder. It gets harder as life goes on if you don't have this identity clear and sorted out. So I want us to dig deep on really three things today, okay? The first one is this. These are some declaration statements. I am accepted. Everybody say, I am accepted. In Christ, not in your social settings, okay? Not, you're accepted in Christ. John 1:12. but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave us that right. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn his acceptance. You didn't earn his love. You're accepted by God simply because you received what Jesus did for you. By the grace of God is how you're accepted into his family. You know, our five kids didn't earn anything, you know. They were born into our family, and they had our love. They didn't do anything for me. They actually made me sleep less and changed a lot of things in my life, you know. I was a selfish person. I was like, wow, I thought I was not selfish, then I started having children. Then I all of a sudden realized I was really selfish, okay. And that's what kids do. They help you unravel your selfishness. And so there I was with our kids, but, man, I love every one of them. They didn't do anything for me to earn that love. That love is given to them. That love's given to your children. You know, when we realize that it's God's voice is the one who called us out from darkness into light. He's the one who's called us for. He's the one that's called us and wooed us to his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's wooed us in. He's called us out and he said, you are sons and daughters. You're no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters. You are accepted in him because of what Christ did. In Romans 8, 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, amen, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, most days when I drive home, pull up in the driveway, um, and this changes over time. I've got five kids, but right now my favorite is Gwyneth, all right? <laughs> That's really boils down to one reason I'm about to tell you. I pull up. And Gwyneth's at the door, and she burst out, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And she runs up, and I'm like, have to like hit the brakes in the car. So she, I don't hit her. I'm like, you know, she like wants to jump in the car. And, Ooh, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She's so excited. She like can't help herself. You know, this must be the thing with girls. My boys weren't like that as much. But she's just like, woo, she just can't help herself, you know. And I'm like, yes. And it's like, you know what? My wife isn't like coercing her. Now go out and run and say, daddy, daddy, daddy. <laughs> right? I'm not calling her, babe. It's been a long day. In five minutes, we're going to pull up. Just kind of hit the music. Let's go. Get Gwyneth out there. Make me feel awesome. Why don't you video this? Send to my family. Look at that. Big kids love me. Right? But some of you have thought about doing that for yourself. Right? Look how awesome I am. Let's selfie this whole moment, you know? And, guys, I just got to be honest. I'm like, there's moments that need to be broadcast and moments that don't. And I say, most of your life does not need to be broadcast. Like, rub shoulders with people and let that be the broadcasting. Just you living life with people. You don't need to, you don't need to hype yourself up. If you're worth much, you don't need to hype it up. You just live it out. And he'll hype you up. Because you're here to be pleasing to God, not man. Who cares if people see your life? He sees it. And people will be affected by it when you live it unto him. 
you know, Gwyneth, she runs out, and I've discovered, after being a parent for nine and a half years, that I've tried lots of different things with my kids. Um, I've tried giving them stuff. I've tried kind of doing these fun events we'll do, different things. Um, I've even tried baking them, like, really great food, but they usually gobble it up or never say thank you within minutes. So, you know, you don't spend a lot of time cooking these meals for children. Um, I've tried a lot of things, but here's, here's what I learned. My, my kids really want two things. They want my time, and they want my voice. That's what they want, guys. Parents in the room and future parents, they don't want more stuff. They want your time. And I would argue this day and age, majority of parents are drifting away from giving their kids time and passing it off for someone else to give them time. Be it a grandparent, an uncle, a cousin, a sister, a daycare, another program. And let me just say, you've got to make your own choices but know that choices have consequences. If you will not give your children the time they need in those early years, zero to five, by the way, which is vital, there's a miss. Doesn't mean they can't grow up to be great people. Doesn't mean they can't be, you know, the next president or whatever. But what it means is that what they are craving is you. They are craving you. And I would just say in the same vein, we crowd Abba Father, if you have never engaged with God's heart and saying, Daddy, Daddy, Father, I love you, I wonder if you've ever fully received his love. He's giving it to you, but maybe you've distanced it. Maybe you've been so hurt by the things. Maybe your earthly father wasn't there. Maybe something's happened to where you've just turned your back. But he's still crying out, I love you, I love you. I forgive you, come on, come run to me. I want you to turn and say, Daddy, that's his heart for us. That's his heart. It's not coerced. It's out of receiving his love is how we love back. And guys, I'll say the same thing for our children. I know a lot of you in this room don't have kids yet. That's how you can gauge how you're doing in parenting. If your kids want to come to you or if you have to force them to come. Forcing is called religion. Wanting is called relationship. Is God having to force you to read his word? See, are you feeling like coerced or something? Is there some weird, or is it, no, I want to. I want to create space for your voice. I want to create space for your word and what you say, God. I want that because I want relationship. That's what God's heart is for us. We're accepted in Christ. And you know, that acceptance is not anything you earn. And when you have it in Christ, guess what? You can quit trying to prove it to people the rest of your life. I mean, how freeing would that be, right? I don't have to prove myself to everybody all the time. You already are loved. You're already accepted by him. People will come and go. They will. Your best friend today won't be your best friend in 30 years probably. It's very rare. But God remains. Christ remains in you. The next thing I want us to know is in Christ, I am secure. Everybody say, I am secure. I am secure. This is a good one, all right? Because here's how we do life when we are insecure. You probably don't want these associated with you. We don't have confidence to try new things. Fear usually wins out. We avoid meeting new people. We pretend to be people we are not. We become consumed with someone else's life. Begin questioning our job, our relationships, our fashion, our hairstyle, our ideas. More or less, you're saying, I'm not good enough no matter what. We live less and we worry more. That's what an insecure life is. I don't want that. That doesn't look very fun. But in Romans 8.1, guess what? There's a place where we have deep security in Christ. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus with me. You can be secure in your salvation. You can be secure in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. I am free. There's no condemning charges against me, right? Isn't that great when we really understand that the condemning charges that are laid against us constantly coming at us from different angles, different directions, they don't have any weight. Condemning charges are kind of like this. Um, let's say you're a high school quarterback, and um, week two of the season, you throw a couple of picks one game, your team loses the game. Well, here you are like week nine, all right? And that was the one game you lost. Week nine, you've rolled through the competition. You're on a seven-game winning streak. You haven't thrown a pick since, but your teammates keep reverting back in the locker room. Hey, remember that game? You threw all those picks. And they never mention the victories. They never mention the 145 completions you've had in a row, which is like a state record. All they mention is a few picks you had. That's called the father of lies. Because guess what? All of us have thrown picks. All of us have lost. And the sooner you get comfortable with that, you're like, okay, I really have messed up royally. I really can't get out of this. Oh, my gosh. I need Jesus. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. But forgiveness is not partial. It's complete. So when he says forgiven, guess what? You're forgiven, man. Now go and so, go throw some touchdowns. Get up and go. But if you live in condemnation, which then attaches self-pity to itself, oh, it is such a horrible way to live. Because you live defeated. You live like, I don't matter, and I can never measure up. If that's your mindset, you're like, well, Tyler, I did this thing back in high school. I should probably get up and leave. Those are called condemning thoughts. Oh, Tyler, you don't know what I did last week. I yelled at my kids once. I don't, I'm not allowed to be a Christian anymore. That's called religion. But a relationship is, Tyler, I yelled at my kids, and my wife said, you need to repent. And I was like, you're right. I'm sorry for yelling at you kids. Will you forgive dad? Yes, daddy, we forgive you. Thank you. Let's go play ball. That's the Christian life. Right? A religious life is be condemned, go sit in timeout for six months, ostracize yourself from community, feel bad until you felt bad enough, whatever that is, and then you can get up and join the club again. Because that's biblical, right? No. See, if you know the voice, you know that's not biblical. It ain't biblical. Even in parenting, it ain't biblical to send your kids away. You draw them near. You can remove things from them. God does that a lot. I'm going to remove this from you. Whoa! Yeah, that's going to help you understand not to do that anymore. So parents removing things is a great idea. I'm taking the Nintendo, right? I'm taking a new pair of sneakers away for a season two. Oh, I'm taking away this. It's like, I'm not going to eat candy. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, for some kids, you take away candy, they're in line. And it's just like, yes, sir. What's next, you know? Removing things, that's okay, because God needs to remove stuff from us at times, maybe media, so that we can hear his voice and start to obey him again. Guys, there's no condemnation in Christ. You see, by condemning the law of sin, Christ removed condemnation from you, the sinner. Oh, that's good. He took it away. It's like this big black hat you wore. He just, I'll take it. Like, oh, it's, it's gone. So when you try to have condemning thoughts, you're like, oh, actually, they're not there. I'm not wearing that anymore. They're gone. Like, they're off, and he burned it, and it's, and it's red, okay? That is who Christ has called you to be. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. A spirit of power, love, and self-control control. You see, a spirit of fear includes words like impossible or can't or never or scared or intimidated or darkness or afraid. Keep going down the list. 
He didn't give us the spirit of fear, guys. That's not the Holy Spirit. None of those things are associated with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives you hope. He gives you life. He gives you encouragement. He gives you joy. You can, you can be victorious. You can raise people from the dead. You can overcome any obstacle. He gives you all the hope, all the power you'd ever need because Jesus said, as of last week, guess what? Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples. Which means even in making disciples, you're not doing it alone. You're doing it with him. And then he said at the end of that, not only did I give you all the power and authority, but guess what? I'm with you always. He bookends a statement of, here's the power. I'm with you always, and I'll go and do what I ask. He's like, oh, I can actually do that. If you try to do it without him, you're not going to be able to do it. You see, in Christ, there's deep security available. When you're secure, guys, you don't really give a whole lot of weight to someone else's opinions about you. It doesn't mean you don't humble yourself and listen to advice. Don't hear me say that. If someone says, dude, you keep chewing on people at work, you need to, like, cut that out. You need to not just shrug it off like Jesus didn't say that. Well, hold on, Jesus did say you don't chew people out at work. You know, I mean, you point them back to the Bible. So it doesn't mean you don't live in a community. It doesn't mean you don't listen to advice. What it means, though, is that you don't take on everyone's opinions and ideas and say, that's my new identity. You see, my identity is in Christ. Okay, so let's say you have a, in the sports analogy, you have a coach that just likes to chew you out or a boss, right? And so if you're secure in Christ, they chew you out. And you're like, wow, you're really angry right now. Of course I'm angry. You're like, okay, I hear you. I'll try to respond to that. But you're not going to cry. You're not going to wallow. Because, you know, Jesus Jesus didn't do that. He didn't waver. You're a follower of Christ. You don't have to waver. You can hear, and he's like, you know what? You're right in that way. In other places, like, you're just angry. You know, it's like, and you need healing. And so I'm going to stay in this game long enough, and you're going to get healed. You're going to get free. We're going to get rid of that, you know. But you don't say that right then. You just, you take it, and you're able to listen. But you're not, you're not thrown off by it, right? When your foundation is Christ, he's a rock. It's like, bring it on. Bring all your tantrums, all your anger. Come on, enemy, keep throwing the arrows because you're the father of lies. And just so you know, that's what happens. The enemy actually speaks through people to them spew on you death and destruction and hate and lies. Just so you know, that's where that comes from in our society. People that spew forth hate and all this sort of stuff, it comes from the devil, He's a father of lies. We are the father of truth. So you can choose to follow whichever one you want to. The father of truth speaks truth, right? And love is truth, but not lies. So guys, when you hear condemning thoughts, when you hear lies, you're just like, hey, that's the devil. I don't care where it's coming from. Could it come from your dad? Could it come from your friend? Could it come from an article you read? You just say, uh-uh, who am I in Christ? What does the word says? This is who I am. I am free. <laughs> I'm free in him. The last one we want to highlight is I am accepted. I'm accepted. In Christ, everybody say, I am accepted. I already did this one. Just kidding. Should have numbered my notes. All right, just messing with you. Hey, I'm just, I'm just making sure you guys, are, you guys are on top of it. The last one is, I am significant. Everybody say, I am significant. I am significant. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now think about that for a second. He's saying, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to give it to you. My Father, which means there's a dialogue, a conversation. It means we have to make space for that conversation, for in that five-hour window to actually happen, right? We have to make space to connect with the Father's voice. And the goal for us is what? Is to bear fruit. Like your quest is to go and bear fruit. Like that's your goal, is to bear fruit. Fruit, and you can do that when you understand I am significant to him, meaning I have a part to play. So anybody that ever said to you, you are worthless or don't matter, is an idiot. I'm just true. 
Because they don't understand that God made you, created you, and he put a lot of thought into you, by the way, and said, no, 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 you are significant. Not just in my church, in the family you're in. Yeah, it may be harder than someone else's, but I put you there. And if you'll cling to me, I will show you what I have in store. Yeah, you may have been born in this town or that town. You may have had this skill sort of that. But do you know, will you just trust me and know that I love you, that I'm with you? That's what he's inviting us into, guys. He's inviting us into a place to say, yes, I'm significant in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors. Man, that's significant. You know, an ambassador for the U.S., they go and represent the United States. And... They represent our political stance, our economic policy, our view on government, civil rights. That's what they do. But they go represent our country. They represent the president. They're appointed by the president. And so, therefore, when you think about an ambassador of Christ, guess what? You get to represent Christ. And you're not an ambassador just 8 to 5. It's 24-7. A real ambassador actually has to represent all the time. Dinner parties, weekends, private public life, it's all the time. You are an ambassador for Christ. Which means if anyone in this room is struggling with significance, that's it right there. You're an ambassador. Wow, what a privilege. Yes. You're the only one who knows Christ at your workplace. You're the ambassador there. You're the only person that's really trying to teach these kids at public school, like with, with excellence and with joy and with Jesus in the middle. It's like, great, you're an ambassador. Do your job really, really well, but do it through the lens of what God says and who God says you are. Do your job knowing you're already secure, you're already accepted, you're already significant to him, and from that place then, you run. You see, you go make disciples after you know who you are. You know who you are, nothing can stop you. You can say whatever you want, that's not going to stop me. But as long as you allow the opinions of men to deter you, well, you'll be deterred. But when you all of a sudden, when you decide, and maybe today, you decide, I will no longer try to just please people. I will please God. When I cook mashed potatoes, I'm pleasing God. When I write that email, I'm pleasing God. When I take that test, when I go to work, when I tie those shoes, when I teach that child, when I do this, that, and the other, when I worship, when I read, when I, whatever I do, it's going to be pleasing to him. And trust me, guys, if you're pleasing to him, you're going to have no problem showing love to people. Because everything you do to him is honoring, loving, and pleasing, right? It's only going to honor and love the people around you. Remember, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with our heart, some on his strength. That's the first one. And love your neighbor as yourself. But the first one's got to happen in order for the second one to take place. He's calling us to be ambassadors, to be pleasing to him. So I want to close. I want us to go and stand, invite the band up. And um, if you're one of our life group leaders, just come on up. Part of our prayer team. Make your way up here, please. You know, as we close today, um, I know that, you know, we live in a world that's got a lot of messages, a lot of information. And I'm susceptible to it just like you. But I hope what you walk away with today is that there is a voice that's calling out to you again. And any unsettledness you feel in your life, it may be because you're listening to the voices of others, even good intentions, instead of his voice. Because he says you're beautiful. He, he says, I've got a role for you to play. He, he says, there's no condemning thoughts anymore, not in Christ. He says, you're actually really powerful, even though people said you're not very powerful. He said, you're strong. He said, you have a skill set that I need. 
He says things about you and who you are. He says, I, I, I made you in your mother's womb. I handcrafted you. I know everything there is to know about you. Of course I know the giftings I have for you, and I have a place for you. What I hope you walk away with today is that there's a voice I need to tune into. It's the voice of God. And so my hope is that as we end, as we end today, you can make a way up here. One of these guys can pray for you. You can stay where you're at. But here's what I want you to ask. Let ask the question, God, are there any voices that have hindered who I am? Are there any outside voices, coach, family, things you've read, things you've watched, things you've seen that are hindering your ability to actually hear his voice? Because again, he wants to speak and he will speak, but we've got to give him the space. So I just want to pray for us right now. I'm just going to ask the Spirit of God would just highlight anything in any of us. If there's a voice that you need just to be free from, I want you to come up here, be bold, have someone pray for you. Go to a friend here you came with, say, hey, would you just pray with me? I just want this voice to be out of my life because I want his voice to be the center one. So Lord, we just pray right now. We just ask that you would speak so clearly to us in this room, that your voice would trump the other voices. And Spirit of God, we are asking that you would expose the lies of the enemy. You would expose the voices that are not of you. You would expose the thoughts, these, these dark places in us, and that you would bring them to light, and that Christ would deal with them, and that you'd replace these lies. You'd replace these voices that are not lifting your name up, that are not true about us. You'd replace them with what is true. Lord, speak. Speak to us. Declare over us again who we are in Christ.